Good morning. Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week, I'm going to try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is the story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about, we wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, uh, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and you can borrow one of ours. One of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take that, read it every single day, because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians. And if you're new to the scriptures, you can start in the right and turn left. You'll find the book much faster. It's in the New Testament. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church that was gathered in the city of Ephesus. And we've been studying this book for many, many months now. And we have two weeks left, including today. Somebody say amen to that. Um, Where we go from here, I do not know. Uh, And so uh, we've been looking at this entire book, and that's kind of the healthy diet for us around here, is that it's not just the tips and tricks and and the useful things uh, for life or promotion or for good health or for wealth. Uh, There's plenty of self-help books out there. Uh, This is not one of them. This book is not primarily a story about you. This story is a story about Jesus, amen? Amen. And that's good for you and to you. And so uh, look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, starting in verse 10. And you can say amen when you're there. It's a fairly famous passage that we're going to look at uh, today and, and talk about the implications of this particular passage. Verse 10 says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers that are over this present darkness, against the supernatural spiritual against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I want you to underline that whole passage. I quote it from time to time. I want you to look at verse 12. You're going to want to remember this passage. For we do not wrestle, another translation says, we fight not against. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Who's flesh and flesh and blood, your fellow man. But we wrestle against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual and uh, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We're gonna have to deal with that. What, what, is, what does that mean? Evil spiritual forces in heavenly places? What does that Mean. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, 
having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and with supplication. Will you pray with me? Gracious heavenly father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace today that you would help us peer into this passage and consider the times that we live in, to consider our role in this cosmic battle between good and evil, light and dark, between you, Lord Jesus, and the works of Satan. We thank you that you would help us and move us forward. Let us be sober-minded and standing firm as you've given us places to stand in our family, with our friends, in our community. And when we've done all that we can, we'll keep standing. And we thank you for your grace. We ask that you would help us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. How many of you have the personality where you're just always looking for a fight? Is it just me? Uh, Right? How many, just call them out. How many of you sitting with somebody, like they're kind of looking for a fight from time to time, all right? And and if, if you don't know if that's that person, get in their car and drive around with them for a little bit and see what it's like to drive through Solvang with them. And you're going to find out very quickly if they're looking for a fight. And uh, man, I I think passages like this, I got to be honest that for us who have a tendency uh, to where we're defensive or or we feel like, man, we're always ready for battle. Or maybe you're the type of person when you watch the news or you scroll social media, man, you get riled up. How many of you from time to time, you're just that person, right? And everyone's like, man, here we go again. What what did you see today? Like like some of us are in that kind of uh, mode. And and then some of us, uh, man, we will avoid conflict at all costs. Just own yourself right now because I'm confronting you and you're going to have to deal with how how many of you, you just uh, hate this moment right now and you're like, I don't like conflict at all, right? We're going to help you through the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, we're all going to get on the same page this morning, amen? Amen. See, here's what both sides are going, whether you have a personality uh, that embraces conflict, looks for conflict, or maybe the person you avoid conflict at all times, I have a newsflash for you. You are in the middle of a war. Whether or not you want to accept this fact, you are in the middle of a war. There is a battle raging on, and what we as believers in the Lord Jesus have to realize that there is a fight, and you are in a battle. Some of you feel like life's been a battle for you. Some of you feel like, man, you've had to scrape and claw at every turn, trying to get this job, get this promotion, man, trying to make the marriage work, trying to, trying to raise these kids, trying to, trying to raise toddlers, trying, trying to just get by with this baby. Some of you fighting sickness and fighting disease and fighting relationships. Man, if, whether we realize it or not, or we want to avoid it, or 
Maybe we have been in the mix and you're like, Pastor Sam, you're not telling me anything I don't already know. I've been in a fight from day one. Wherever you're at, you have to understand exactly what this fight is and how we prepare for it. What is this fight? And this is this passage that we get to. And he, 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 he says, finally, out of everything that he said prior to this point, chapters one through six and a half, he says, finally, here's what my last thing I would say to you. Now, he's opened the passage. He was talking about the greatness of God and who he is and the purposes of God. And he gets your head up in the first part of Ephesians. He goes, man, you can think about everything, but the greatest uh, question that you need to answer is what do you believe about God? Our high school students are starting a new series uh, today about worldview. What do you think? What do you see? And that changes everything. See, all of us have to address these questions of where do we come from? Why are we here? What do we do while we're here? And where is this whole thing going? That's essentially the elements and the questions that are answered by a proper worldview. What is the origin of our species? Or in other words, how did we get here? Uh, what is the meaning to all this? What is purpose? And, and people can kind of move away from that question, but let's be honest, most people are wrestling with that question. Meaning in their job, meaning in life, meaning in their marriage, me, meaning to the, the mundane things of their life. They're trying to figure out what, what does my life mean? And then they're a- answering questions about morality. What do I do? What's right and wrong? How do, how do I go about uh, living in a society? W- why is it that when I look at some individuals, I go, they ought not do that? Or, or, or I think, man, they ought to do this. There, there's kind of this, this law in the nature of mankind where we go, this is what it means to be a good friend. This is what it means to be a bad friend. This is what it means to be a good husband or a good dad. This is, what it, this is what it means to be a good person. We all have that intrinsically in us. C.S. Lewis says that's the real law of nature. We've hijacked that with Newton's laws of physics, that human beings have something about them, that they have an ought to them. And then there's this perception that we're bent against and away from what we ought to do, and we find ourselves mixed up in what we ought not. Well, these are questions of morality. And morality only comes from purpose. And then ultimately, you have to ask the question. And you tend to ask these questions when things are going bad, not when they are going good. Where do I go when I die? What happens at the end of the road? Where is this whole thing going? Where did we come from? Why are we here? What are we doing while we're here? And where is this whole thing going? Paul starts us off in Ephesians and saying, listen, this is the question that you have to begin to ask. And let me point you to the person of Jesus who has blessed us. He is the author and finisher of, finisher of our faith. He is the reason why we are here. He, he's where we come from. He is the logos. He is the mind, the intelligence, the author of life. And so then he is what gives us purpose and meaning. 
He's the one who decides what's right and wrong. You don't get to decide it on your own. And he's laid before us what is righteous and what is not. And ultimately, he tells us that you're a part of a big story. And he says to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And that if you would believe in me and what I am doing, you would have eternal life, life that death cannot stop. For the believer, life and death look fundamentally different. For the believer, our minds and our thoughts are upward and on the utmost and not on ourselves. That's what he starts with. He begins to say, listen, this is who God is and this is who you are. But we sinned against God and now we're trapped in our own sin. But praise be to God because of his goodness and mercy and who he is has blessed us and saved us because he's that good. Can I give you something profoundly theological? You're probably going to want to tweet it on uh, uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter, now X, whatever that is. Uh, Here's something profoundly theological. God does not save you because you're awesome. God saves you because he's awesome. What? Amen. Amen. Just knock it off. Too late. I mean, like, like, like this needs to be deep inside of the heart of man. Because maybe you walked in here and thought Christianity was about getting yourself together and not gazing upon the beauty and awesomeness of who God is. See, that's what chapter two goes. So here's the grand cosmos. Here's who God is. And he is the one piecing this whole thing together. But you went astray. So what do you do now? You trust in him who has given you grace, unmerited, undeserved favor with God. And this is not your own doing, least anyone should boast. For by grace you have been saved through the doorway of your faith. This is good news. And now he's handcrafting you and he's putting you together. This is the end of Ephesians chapter 2. And then he's going to go on and talk about who we are in Christ. And we're... We have a new status. We have a new name. We we have been justified by his grace and through his grace alone. Justification is this, that your status moved from sinner to saint. Not because you've become saintly, not because you've got it together, not because you've been able to accomplish all of the rights and wrongs, but because of his grace and him giving you his name and his status. He has imputed to us his righteousness and we have given back to him our sinfulness, the only sin that was ever on the person of Jesus was ours. And the only righteousness that we have is his. It is by grace through the person of Jesus. Well, what an illustration I can give you for this, and you need to understand this completely, is that when you are found in Christ, you're on the team. Come on, look at somebody and say, you, you made the team. You're on the team. Now, uh, how, how many of you played s- sports growing up? And so, if you're lying, someone's going to out you, right? Uh, 
right? Like, like, like believe it or not, I, I know I'm quite vertically challenged, but I, I played basketball at, at one point in, in my life. And uh, when, you, when you think about being on a team, here's the reality. Just because you blow a layup, just because you miss a shot, doesn't mean you have to come out and take your jersey off. Sometimes we've made people feel as though in the church that if they mess up, if they sin, if they stumble, man, you're not in anymore. You got to take the jersey back off. But see, that is not our salvation. Our justification is found and sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And just because you mess up doesn't mean that you're off the team. Somebody say amen to that. Just because you stumble. But here's what you don't want to do. This is how Ephesians begins to roll. He goes, but you don't realize what the other team is like. You don't realize how dark this thing goes. So don't allow sinfulness to be named among you. You don't even want to be associated with that team because what that team does in the dark is shameful to even talk about. Because listen, you don't want to play, like you, you, you don't want to be on team righteousness and on team light and playing against team dark and look up at the scoreboard and realize that one of the points for the other team, you put it up there. Because listen, men. Right? You don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to play in the margins. You don't want to excuse the small things because playing at all in the dark gives you an association with deeds that are shameful to even discuss. And so men, as you look at the world and you think about the atrocities, when you think about the wicked and evil men in the world who, who have, have abused children, who have hurt women, who do atrocities in the dark, let it motivate you. Let it compel you. Don't let it condemn you, but let it convict you and move you forward that you don't even want to be associated. And so... Cast off the small sins that so easily set you back and press on towards the mark of the high calling that is Christ Jesus because he saved you and redeemed you and put you on the team and he's called you to play for team righteousness. So get out of the dark. That's where he goes. He goes, because this is the severity of this put on this new life and let this new life motivate you. Then he goes from the individual and he says, man, all right, uh, man meets woman. They're going to get married and have some children. Amen. And then this is how you're going to interact with your spouse. Here's children, obey your parents. He's going to say, hey, here's what happens with the world around you. If you have debts, pay them. If you're a boss, be a righteous boss. If you're someone who is a manager, be a righteous manager. If you're under authority, then serve and do what is right. But know that no matter what your economic status is, no matter what your political persuasion is, no matter if you're male, female, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're from this camp or that camp, no one will be outside of the master of the universe. And this master shows no partiality in how he begins to bring justice. And so think about, don't lean into your status in earthly terms 
but leave into your heavenly status for your name is written. Jesus says this, man, don't boast that demons tremble because of you, but rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that your status has changed. Finally, finally put on the whole armor of God. This is the context for the series that we've been in. This is where he leads up to. All of those things are a part of the conversation for him to finally say, finally put on the whole armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may able, be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Knowing that you're on the team, knowing that you're justified not by your works, but that he's handcrafting you to play a part in the grand story that he is writing through your life. This is what he's telling the church in Ephesus that we are then looking and gleaning from. This is what he's saying to us this morning, that you're changed and you're set free in order to live the, the life that God's called you to live. The, core, or the bridge that we sang in the song Then Sunday Came says the curse of sin is broken and your love has spoken life to me. You're no longer bound by sin. You're, you're called to live the life he's called you to live. You've set me free, oh Lord. You've set me free so that I can live. Not to just boast in my status change, not to be complacent, not to get out a hell free card and then go over and do whatever the hell I want. Somebody say amen to that. But now you're called and compelled and commissioned to do it. So finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now here's what I think would happen. If, you, if, I, if I just got up here and I could preach a sermon, and there are many on the internet right now. And you could see, and I hate every one of them. Uh, there, there, there are many sermons out there that, that would say, hey, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and you need to get ready. Some of you have been listening to these sermons. And, so, and, and, and you could preach this, and, and what you could do is you need to put on the, you need to get ready for battle. And those of us who have a propensity to look for a fight, like, say that, bro. I've been waiting for that, right? It's about time, right? It's about time we get there. And then he's, if we're not careful, we'll miss what Paul is saying in light of everything he's already said. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? His. In the power of who he is. Put on the whole armor of God. And see, sometimes we get to spots like this. We go, man, we're facing a giant. We are facing a difficult circumstance and we need to get ready for battle and we need to go out into the fight. And maybe you've heard sermons like, like the story of David and Goliath. 
How many of you remember that story? Right, it's a famous story. You don't have to be raised in church to remember the story of David and Goliath. It gets used in sports analogies. It's a famous story of, of, the, of the little guy <laughs> against the giant. Mike, wave at everybody. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we could have we had a great illustration today. Uh, now, why that's so funny. Uh, the story of David and Goliath. Now, the story goes like this, is that David's brothers are already off to the field of battle. And here's what would happen, is these two uh, tribes, these, these kingdoms, the Philistines and the children of Israel, the kingdom of Israel under King Saul are there. And, and for days now, there has been this, this giant, this Goliath, who's been calling out the other side. And he's going, send me a man. Send me your best man. Now, when you read that, what you should hear is that Goliath is calling out King Saul. Because if you read the earlier parts of this passage, it says that the reason why they picked Saul as their king was he stood head and shoulders above every other man in the group. He was a tall man. And so Goliath says, oh yeah, give me your best. We'll fight one-on-one, -on -one, winner take all. And for days, King Saul has been in the tent and he won't come out. He'd been talking about who's going to go out there. David has been tending to his father's sheep, and his dad tells him to go bring some bread and, and some cheese and take some wine and some oil and take it down to the battlefield for your brothers. But when he gets there, David hears what Goliath is saying about his God, about his children, about his kingdom, and he's fed up, and he comes in there like some of us little guys do. He's like, did you hear what that guy said? Who's going to do something about this? And they're like, not me. Like, he's like, no, let me at him. And Saul's like, you? Yeah, he's like, no, 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 let me at him, dude. And he's like, what makes you qualified to go after Goliath? And he says, well, this one time I was uh, tending to my father's sheep and a bear came, tried to take one of them, and I killed the bear. And he's like, what? He's like, yeah. And then another time a lion came. And he tried to take one of my dad's sheep, and I killed the lion. You're like, what? Can you imagine? Can I just tell you that the old adage is, if you're going to get in a fight, you better fight somebody you can whip or outrun. All right? Can I just tell you that you can't whip or outrun a bear or a lion? All right? And so he's like, are you kidding me? I've killed bears and lions, and this Philistine will be like one of them. Saul's so like, man, I don't know who this kid is, but... Let him at it. But then he does this. He says, he says but you're going to need some armor. And Saul goes and he tries to put his armor. He's a tall man. His jersey's much different than David's. David's a skinny runt of his family. He's a feist, feisty redhead. And it says that they put the, the armor on of Saul onto David and it didn't fit. And it didn't work. He says, no, no, I don't want any of that. And he gets these rocks and puts them in his pouch, and he has a sling. And he goes out, and you know the story. Looks up at Goliath. He takes that sling, puts the rock in, and he lets it fly. And first shot hits Goliath between the eyes, and down he goes. 
And then David goes over, and this is this, the parts in kids' church that we leave out of the story. Like, what happened to Goliath? Oh, he's just taking a nap. <laughs> David's like, <laughs> sword. He goes over and cuts off Goliath's head. He's like, hey, was this what you were looking for? You're like, the Bible is some kind of book, right? And here's the, here's the part that happens. And as great of a story as that is and how we think about it, those who have a propensity to look for a fight would go, that's us. I'm David. Whatever I'm facing is Goliath. And I'm going to go out there like nobody else. And I'm going to knock down the giant. And there are stories and there are sermons that says, listen, you got to get the right rocks in your pouch. You got to get the right stuff. You got to gear up and you got to go to battle. But here's what I need to remind you when we read stories like this. The Bible is not a story about you. The Bible is a story about Jesus. And when you think about who the hero in these stories, Jesus was after the resurrection, walked with two men who were telling Jesus stories, but missed the point that they were with Jesus. It's this story at the end of Luke, and we refer to it as two fools on a road to Emmaus. Jesus walks with them and goes, what story are you telling? They're like, have you not been around Jesus of Nazareth? We thought he was the Messiah, the son of David. We thought he was coming, but they killed him. Some of the ladies this morning said they went to the tomb and the tomb was empty, but we didn't believe them. He says, oh yeah, do tell. And then it says that Jesus explained to them all of the scriptures pointing to himself. He opened the scriptures and showed them that every story was pointing to the person of Jesus even the story of David and Goliath. See, the story of David and Goliath is not about you primarily, but you're a character in the story as well, but you're not David. David is a foreshadowing, the one that would be promised that would come as the lion of Judah, the son of David, who would change everything. It was a small glimpse, an illustration in real life terms of what Jesus would come and do. See, Jesus is a greater David and sin and Satan is a greater Goliath. And you are neither. You're like King Saul. Could somebody else go out there and deal with this for me? We're like the children of Israel shaking in the tent, cowering back. The story of the New Testament and what Ephesians op opens up for us is that the battle is the Lord's and your strength is in him. He has slayed Goliath. He has defeated sin and death and he arose from the grave victorious. Now the enemy is a weak an anemic force that uses lies 
and tries to make you think that he is not defeated. He tries to convince you that he still has authority over you. He still tries to convince you that through his fear and through his taunting and through his accusations like Goliath, sin and Satan will try to accuse you and condemn you and cause you to cower back. But finally, brothers and sisters, be strong and courageous in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, for you're in a fight, and this fight is not with flesh and blood. And just like David, putting on Saul's armor, the armor that we need for this fight is not what you think. See, another passage in 2 Corinthians says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. See, here's what you have to be convinced of, is that the battle and the war that you are in is a spiritual war. What you have to realize is you do have an enemy, and there are forces at work, and human beings are not your enemy. Wait a second, Pastor Sam, do you know what these people are doing? Have you not heard? You, you, mean, you mean the people that you disagree with who are also made in the image of God, those people? You remember that? You go, well, Pastor Sam, what do I do? Put on the whole armor of God. Realize that your fight is not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. This passage says in heavenly places. What does that mean? It means that what we think about heaven in our minds is heaven is somewhere else. And when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist, his cousin, his crazy cousin, and everybody's got a crazy cousin, and if you don't have a crazy cousin, the crazy cousin of Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven was another word for the spirit realm. What you have to realize is that there is a spiritual battle going on. Even though the enemy would try to convince you that real life and earth and dirt is all there is. Humanistic materialism is a doctrine of a demon who would try to convince you that spiritual things are not real. French poet Charles Baudelaire says this, the greatest trick of the, dev the devil ever played was convincing the world that he does not exist. The greatest trick of the devil ever played was convincing the world that he does not exist. Maybe the movie with Kevin Spacey is where you remember this line from, but the reality is this, is Satan is real and he is an enemy, but he is a defeated foe who uses lies and imaginations and bolsters himself up to think, to make you think that your life here on earth is the utmost of what you can achieve. 
His lie is convincing you that more money and more fame and more notoriety and more status, that is where you will find meaning and purpose. But I have to realize that he is the author and finisher of my faith. And I'm just a sojourner coming through this world. This world is not my home. And that ultimately he has purposes and plans beyond what I can see, touch and feel and buy and obtain. And that is the first thing that you have to realize. So gird yourself and tie on the belt of truth. You have to live in this reality. Truth has to be what is at the center of your life. He begins to describe the whole armor of God. Now, I think he uses this illustration, and what you got to realize is you don't want to make this illustration too close. You got to realize that these are symbols. Is there physical spirit? Is there they're the actual armor of God? It's like, is that literal? It's like, what do you mean by literal? Is there spiritual tools that arm you and get you ready for battle? Absolutely. Paul was chained in house arrest, and some believe that he was actually chained to a Roman soldier. That as he was pinning this, he was next to a guard that he was chained to. And for months and weeks, as the changing of the guard would come over on who was in charge of this rebel who was teaching that there was a king beyond Caesar, that there was a king greater, that, that the spiritual forces, the battle that was going on was not with Rome and not with Israel, but with Satan. And Jesus had came and destroyed the works of Satan. And he offers us a way to be righteous with him and serve him and him alone and to live as Christ. But to die is gain. Death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Paul would say things like, in this life, what is it? You could take my life, but I live for Christ. What could they take away from him? And so he writes this letter, and he writes this while he's chained to a Roman guard, and he begins to use the armor that's being used against him as an analogy to help us understand exactly what our fight and our role is is the irony that Paul would speak the truth in love that would cause the church to grow right in the middle of an empire that was adamantly opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that at one time, the man and the Caesar, the position that would take Paul's head at the end of his life. At one time, lined the streets entering into Rome with crosses that had martyrs attached to those crosses and many of them were lit on fire. And they were a symbol to anyone coming into the city of Rome. Christianity was illegal and the fate of any Christian who claimed Jesus as Lord would be that of the cross. 
Well, how do you change that? How do you overthrow that? How do you change the culture like that? Paul seemed to think it was through sacrificial love and the truth of the gospel. Today, if you were to walk the streets of Rome, you would see ancient works of art, many of them depicting a cross, which would no longer be a warning to outsiders, but a symbol of hope to those who trust in the cross. What do you say? You, you mean the whole thing got turned upside down? You mean that that regime, that society, that culture that was adamantly opposed in greater depths than you or I have ever faced. Don't kid yourself that you are facing some kind of persecution that is grander than that of Nero. Do not kid yourself, man, I've never seen it like this. That's because you're a man and your perspective is limited. You have to realize, you go, no, no, Sam, we got, we got to, we got to get, we got to get out there. And he goes on and say this, here's your fight. Here's your battle. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? That you're found and protected and specifically your heart is protected by his righteousness. Not make sure you do it all right. Not make sure that your reality or your morality and your deeds are righteous because the only righteousness you have is that of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Someone say amen to that. And so then how do you protect your heart? You protect your heart with knowing that your righteousness is in him. What does that mean, Pastor Sam? It means that when the enemy comes in and tries to accuse you, when the enemy tries to make you think that you, you've gone too far, when the enemy tries to make you think that you're no good for service, when he makes you think that you, you, you've disqualified yourself to share the gospel, protect yourself with his righteousness. Put on the shoes of the gospel. What does it mean? It means that the gospel is the thing that compels me. Gospel means good news. Good news that I have peace with God. That God is not angry at me. God has not turned his wrath towards me. But God's wrath has been appeased in the payment that was put forth by the person of Jesus. And now I can be compelled forward everywhere I go with what? Good news. Not good advice. What if you were a Christian who carried good news and not just good advice for the society around you? What if the good news you, you carried was not, hey, you need to knock it off and stop and quit and don't join our side and cut that out and don't do this. What if you said, hey, I have good news. Jesus has accomplished something that you didn't see coming, I didn't see coming, but he broke the back of Satan and he has crushed the work of sin. You can be free, man. You don't have to be in that anymore. That addiction, that sin, you've been set free by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take up the shield of faith. 
so that any work and scheme and fiery dart of the enemy would be extinguished by your faith. That when doubt comes in, when the enemy tries to use the whispers of lies, when he tries to every scheme of the enemy tries to come at you and, and cause you to feel like you're out, you're off the team, or, or man, he's not in control. Listen, you may think that he's in charge, but he's not in charge. Look at the world around you. And you have to remember, well, you fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in spiritual places. So keep standing. When you've done all that you can do, stand firm. When you've done all that you know to do, put on the helmet of salvation. You gotta know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ has done everything needed to accomplish your salvation. That's what you gotta know. Man, that's what you gotta protect because out of that place, man, if the enemy could take a headshot at you and convince you that you're out and you're gonna pay and the work of Jesus was not sufficient enough for your sin, then he's already won. So put on the helmet of salvation and know that you know that you know that your fate is sealed, your salvation is secure, and at the end of the day, he wins and I am the spoils of the war that he has won. <laughs> Finally, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice that the sword of the Spirit is in the sheath that's held by the belt of truth. You want to walk in the Spirit? God is seeking out those that he could show himself strong through, looking for those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. You know what pierces the heart of man is the spirit of truth. You know why you're convicted when you hear the word of God? You know why that sometimes people go to your pastor and say, man, you were talking to me today. Did you know you got cameras in our house, dude? You mic in it? What are you doing? You, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit illuminates, says things to you that I never could. And sometimes I'm like, well, what did I say? And they'll tell me, and I'm like, I didn't say that. The Holy Spirit did. You don't know what, what God will use you to speak the truth in love, the word of God that will pierce, it will go forth and do what he sent it to do, and it would not return void. Over and over in this passage, here's what he says. Stand, stay, be in. See, that's, that's a different mentality than most people think about fighting. Right, when you think about the fight, you think, man, let's, let's go. Let's get after it. Famous Psalm, Psalm 23. You heard it before? I always heard it like this. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I mean, I shall not want. He makes, can you be a little bit more bass in my voice? No. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. Then you get to a, yay, 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 though I walk. I mean, you know, you ready? Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. Now think about this, this is crazy. Right, think about, what if you, what if you, what if you read it like this? Close your eyes. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Not because I'm good, not because I'm awesome, because he's awesome for his name's sake. So even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Now look at me. Imagine you just got through the valley of the shadow of death. Big deal. You get on the other side of that. You've been frolicking through green pastures. You've been fly fishing and by still waters. That's amazing, right? Like that valley of the shadow of death, that was sketchy. There you go. We got through that. That was great, right? And then you get on the other side of that and you walk out and imagine just the French Alps. Just, just think about like this grand cathedral that God has made with his creation and there's a banquet table right in the middle of the field. You're looking up, you're seeing snow-capped mountains and all of a sudden you're seeing filet mignon. <laughs> Sorry, vegans. <laughs> Prepare a table you got to sit down. <laughs> I'm going to sit here beside you. <sighs> you look around, and all of a sudden you realize that there's a whole army around you. Like, wait a second. What's this? And it seems like Jesus is just busy preparing the table. He's not even looked up yet. You're going, whoa, 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 whoa. You see, you see all this? Right, and there, there's a couple of reactions in me where it's like, hey, Jesus, sick them. You know, like, like go, go get them. Like, wait, 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 wait. I didn't sign up for this. Though a host of enemies encamped about me, Psalms 27, and though they desire to eat up my flesh, this one thing I will ask of the Lord is to dwell in his house forever. Do you imagine the type of authority you'd have to have? Jesus finishes the final preparations at the feast, looks up, looks at you, sees you're scared out of your wits in, sees this enemy around you, and looks back at you and is like, you want a sandwich? You're like, what? I can't eat in a time like this. He's like, no, 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 are you, are you, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Let's feast. 
See, I'm convinced that our spiritual warfare is not of this world. It doesn't look like the world. It doesn't act like the world because it feasts rather than fight. See, the kingdom of God is not my line, it's his line. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. Your fight is to sit at the table. Because the victory is the Lord's. He has all authority in heaven and on earth and it's been given to him. He is the one in charge. He's not afraid of any foe. Why should he be afraid of yours? And he's inviting you to sit down and feast at the table. What is our fight? The fight is to be with and stand with and feast with the person of Jesus. If the enemy can convince you to leave the table of Jesus and go fight some cause or fight some battle, rather than feasting with the Lord, he's already won. Because the goal of the enemy is to separate you from the person of Jesus. That's his tactic. That's his war. Sin and deception and convincing you that you could be great on your own and you could fight some battle rather than sitting down and being with and standing firm. And when you've done all that you can do, keep standing with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel being what your feet are shown with the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Here's the opportunity you have. You have an opportunity every single day to fight the enemy and to win by submitting to the person of Jesus. And when you do, joy and peace and the presence of God that causes the enemy and our foes and those who are far to be confused. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. The rest of the world go, why are you guys, why are you guys happy? Why aren't you afraid? Why aren't you gearing up for battle? Why is it that you're just taking care of the kids and loving your wife and building friendships in your community? Why is it that you're just at that church and you guys are like, do you know what's going on? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's this feast that we're gonna, we're gonna go eat. <laughs> this is the fight. This is the good news. Feast at the table of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we'll allow prayer to continually be for, before us, that we would have the strength and the courage to actually sit with you. That we can do more laying down in green pastures than we could standing up with the wrong armor and the wrong weapons, trying to fight a fight that was never ours to fight. For victory and vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we'll be your kids. We'll be in green pastures by still waters. Yeah, we'll face hard times, but you're with us. And you prepare a table in the presence of our enemies. So let us sit and feast when the world is picking a fight with us. 
Let us dine with the king. Help us in all things to bring glory to you and good to this valley. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?